0: I want to start off off this morning with a quote from the great evangelist D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was an evangelist in America during the time of the 1850s, 1860s. Um, Some of the great revivals occurred under D.L. Moody, and he makes this statement. I believe that many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is full already with something else. Before we pray the that God would use us, I believe we ought to pray for God to empty us, and I was thinking about that. I was saying that is a pretty significant statement. Before we can pray that God would fill us, we want to pray that God would empty us, and the logical question would be, empty us of what? And the natural response that I would say would be that God would empty us of ourselves, That has to be the natural response. We're seeing much today in the church today of service without the Spirit of God. And there is an appalling ignorance that seems to be occurring in this generation of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us to realize it is not uh, what is done for God as much as it is. Um, that counts, but rather what is done by God, that counts. And I think that's a rather significant issue. The work of the Spirit as he works in us, as we yield ourselves to him. There must be power. Second Timothy 1, seven, a verse I'm sure many of you know, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us what? A spirit of love and power and a sound mind, right? He's given us dunamis. He's given us the explosive power of the Holy Spirit. God's work must be done God's way. You know, the Quakers, I'm sure you remember, you, you must have heard at some point regarding the Quakers. You know why they were called the Quakers? They were called the Quakers because they used to quake from the fear of God and from the presence of God that was in them. Too many of us today are shaky about what we believe, but we are not shaken by whom we believe. And I think that's an important statement, right? And many are like the, you know, the warning that Paul issues in Galatians that having begun by the Spirit, are we now seeking to be perfected by the flesh? And it's sad to see that in this country where there is an overabundance of commentaries, Bibles, books, you name it, there's an overabundance of all these other things. It would appear as if there's everything except power in the church. And that's what's needed today. Power in the church. A.W. Tozer um, made this statement well over 50 years ago. And he said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church in Acts, ninety-five percent of what they did, ninety um, percent of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. It's never enough to possess the truth. The truth needs to possess us. We need to be possessed by that truth. The preacher and the teacher can and very should preach and teach the word of truth, but only the Holy Spirit can impart that word of truth and implant the word into the fertile soil of the soul. And by the way, I would submit to you that the enemy is quite pleased that many in the body of Christ are firmly entrenched in tomb camps regarding the Holy Spirit. One camp is really fanatical, really, you know, demonstrative, going off the top. And the other camp is very, very, very intellectual and dry. I believe scripture scripture defines what I like to call the radical middle a balanced approach, a spiritual approach, a word of God approach. We hear so much talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. As our great brothers of the Reformation so boldly proclaim in the great doctrine of Scripture alone, uh, Scripture alone has all the authority to answer these questions. So today, through the scriptures, that's what I wanted to do, through the scriptures, we want to search the truth regarding the Holy Spirit, and what does it mean to be a Spirit-filled church? And I want to begin in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 4. The book of Acts, chapter 2, and beginning with verses 1 through 4. And it reads as follows. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise of a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, I'm not going to do a discourse this morning on speaking in tongues. Rather, I want to focus on what the New Testament talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4 where it says, And they were all filled. The Greek word there, filled, means literally filling a jar, filling a glass, filling a stadium. They were all filled with something. What was it that they were filled with? They were filled with someone, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit came, took up resonance within them, distended within them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues. Go forward to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Now the context here is the church was being persecuted. This was the first wave. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this. And as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain in the temple, uh, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them and being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. 5,000. So souls were saved in Acts 2.41. Here comes another 5,000. Now look at, go down further in Acts 4, look at verses 18 through 20. And when they had summoned them, and the them is Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot Uh, stop speaking about what we have seen and heard now. Remember, they were being threatened by the very same people who had killed our Lord, so they knew the capabilities of these people, they knew what they could do. But notice the admonition they're going to let them go easy, right? They're going to tell them no more preaching about this Jesus, knock it off, knock it off about the resurrection from the dead, knock it off with all this other stuff, no more preaching about Jesus, and Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. By the way, it's a very interesting thing when you consider the current climate in the day and age today, Today, the society, the culture, the government around us is saying, stop preaching about this Jesus. And what's needed in the church today are men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit who could be able to say, we're not going to listen. Whether it's right to give heed to you, the government, whether it's right to give heed to you, the university, whether it's right to give heed to you, the public school, whatever the climate, whatever the culture, whether it's right or not, or in the sight of God, but we cannot keep silent about what we have seen and heard. As a matter of fact, the question here, if we come back to the context of the verse here, is why couldn't they stop speaking? Why couldn't they stop speaking? And the answer is very simple, because they were filled with the holy spirit the one who is to bear witness of jesus as jesus spoke in john 15:26 and how did the church respond to the persecution and the threats and eventually the subsequent release of peter and john how did they respond they held a prayer meeting they had a praise meeting look at uh, acts 4:24 and when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. They didn't just immediately collapse and go into hiding. Instead, what they actually did is they had a prayer meeting, and they said, "Hey, we're going to jump into this, and we are going to be uh, we are going to go before God and ask God for His will." Notice what it says, that they lifted their voice to God in one accord. And I don't want you to miss the the picture here. The Spirit-filled church is a unified church. The word that Luke uses there in the Greek means to be of the same mind. And it helps us understand how the Holy Spirit wrought unity within that first church. They were of one mind. They came together with one mind. And that is the very same thing that we, as a 21st century church, need to uh, do today. With all of the external pressures, with all of the external threats, as a 21st century church today, we need to come together with one mind. We need to come together with one purpose. We need to come together together united in the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 4, verses 29 through 33. And it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. This is the prayer meeting. They were threatened. They were told not to speak anymore about Jesus. So rather than collapse, fall apart, call their lawyers, instead they called upon the Most High God, And they called upon the Most High God in the power and in the unity of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all boldness. And I want to focus on that because that word boldness, it means the freedom and the confidence with which to speak. So they want to be able to, that the servants would grant thy word with all boldness. This is something that I usually say in every single prayer meeting. Grant that thy servants may speak thy word with all boldness. They go on to say, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And notice what happened. It says, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we saw that they were filled on the day of Pentecost. We saw that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, spoke up, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now here in Acts chapter 4, after besieging the Lord, After being together in one accord, in one mind, in one frame set, going before God with that unity, that when they had prayed, the place that they were speaking was shaken. It was literally shaken by the power of God. And they were all filled, again, that same word, which means to fill a jar. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this gives indication that the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't a singular event. It occurred back in Acts chapter 2. Here it is occurring in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to see it as we continue to go through the rest of the New Testament that there are different occasions where the Spirit of God filled them. And notice what happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at the second half of verse 31. Verse 31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what happened. They began jumping around and running around the room. No. They began to prophesy and predict things in the future. No. They commanded health and wealth and prosperity. No. What happened? And they began to speak the word of God with all boldness. You will see this in the scripture the resultant effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When one is filled with the Holy Spirit, one speaks the word with boldness, with the freedom, with the confidence given by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the holy word of God. And look at verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. There's the unity. There's unity in the proclamation There's the proclamation of the gospel with the freedom and the confidence, and there's the post-unity, everybody, the congregation of those who believe were one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but that all things were common property, and I want to point this out in verse 33 because this is great, and with great power. Great power, it says. The apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. I want to I call out something rather significant in verse 33. Notice it says, with great power. The Greek words there for great is megas. Right? We say we have a mega move of God is where we get that root word from. Megas is the word for great, power is the word dunamis in the Greek. Megas dunamis, great power, great power was a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it reminds me of Ephesians 3.20, and some of you may know that verse where, you know, where where Paul says that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that Uh, all that works with it according to the power that works within us. And that word power there is dunamis. What is that power? The question is, what is the power? And the answer is simply the power is the person of the Holy Spirit when he comes and when he fills us with himself. I go back to the quote I said at the the very beginning by D.L. Mooney. And let me reiterate it again. I believe that many a man is praying to God to fill him when he's already filled with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that God would empty us. In church, I'll tell you, there's never been a greater need before than for the church to be filled. That And the only way the church can be filled If if the individuals that comprise the church are filled with the Holy Spirit, this is why we see such a lack of power in the churches today. Because we see great buildings, and we see great institutions, and we see phenomenal programs, and we see great resources. But yet we don't see great power. We're not seeing people falling under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. People that are coming and being saved and their lives changed by the power of God. And it raises the question, and I sincerely mean this. It raises the question, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have megas dunamis? We have great power, because that power is not in and of ourselves, but that power is in and of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That power brings glory to God, not glory to us. That power goes forth and is able to break the chains and the shackles of sin that keep a man and woman bound. There's a lot of reforming going on in the church when there needs to be transforming going on in the church. When lives need to be changed supernaturally by the power of God himself. And I really think it's come time that we have to challenge ourselves and say, do we really believe this? You know, something interesting to note, before Pentecost, the disciples found it hard to do the easy things. After Pentecost, they found it easy to do the hard things. And such it is with the Holy Spirit. Many times we look and we say, well, I I could never be that way. I could never do that. I can I could never share the gospel with that person. I could never do this. I could never do the other thing, and it's because we think in and of our human ability and we think in and of our human strength. But with God, all things are possible. The issue is: Are we submitting ourselves to God? And I want to rem- I want to uh, reiterate this and remember that if Pentecost was never repeated it has never been this retracted. And what I mean by that is, this is the day and age of the Holy Spirit. This is the day and age where the Holy Spirit dwells in those who are saved. And it's been so for 2000 years. So the potential is there. The potential is there for every believer to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if every believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit, if the every believer puts Christ first, if the every believer is desiring the things of God beyond that they're desiring the things of the world, if that is the case, then we become a Holy Spirit-filled church. And then nothing is impossible. The great Preacher H.I. Ironside made this statement, we cannot be filled by deciding to claim it by faith. Neither are we filled by praying for it. We are only filled with the Spirit as we yield ourselves to God and walk in obedience to his word. When the Christian meets the conditions for being filled, the Holy Spirit, like an overwhelming force, immediately occupies as much as of that person as is relinquished to him. While the former sin nature is still present, it has been reckoned dead, and a new nature energized by the Spirit is capable of producing fruit of the Spirit. What is a Spirit-filled church? A Spirit-filled church was the normal experience for every first century believer in the book of Acts. And it is to be expected, the experience of every believer in every church age. And so in simple terms, a spirit-filled church is a church composed of spirit-filled believers, irrespective of their position in the church or their degree of maturity. I want to reiterate that again. Because there's many people who enter the church that are naturally gifted. Not spiritually gifted, naturally gifted. They could be great musicians. They could be great organizers. They could be great teachers. They could be great orators. They could be great at helping people. They could be uh, great at organizing things. They can have great hearts for the poor and the disadvantaged. And all of those things can be done in and of the flesh and has nothing to do with being filled with the spirit. Think about this for one second. God has sovereignly made his provision available. And our responsibility is to make our place, ourselves, available. Are you willing to allow him to preside And guide your life? That is the real question. Your answer determines whether or not you experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. And remember, Scripture teaches that when we believe, we receive all of the Spirit we will ever possess. The question now is how much of each of us will He possess? Will He fill? Will He control? each day And I like to say this many times it is one thing for you to have another uh, uh, it is one thing for you to have the holy spirit it is something entirely different for the holy spirit to have you you know the word of god commands us to be filled with the spirit turning your bibles to ephesians chapter 5 I just want to show you this because I think this is a great parallel Ephesians chapter 5 and we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 21 Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 says this actually we're going to we're going to start with verse 18 Says this: Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to call your attention to something: that is a command, not a suggestion. The Word of God is telling us not to be drunk, not to be uh, d- to go overboard with 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 drink. But the counter to that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled means to be filled to individual capacity. So what is the Apostle Paul telling the church at Ephesus? Be filled as much as it is possible to the capability and the capacity that you can. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it follows that no believer understands or is in the will of God who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. If this is the command that we are to be filled, then not being filled with the Holy Spirit would equally be disobedience to that command. And we are to yield ourselves. We are allow ourselves. We are allowed God to take control. And I know that's not an easy statement because naturally we have a tendency and we have been ingrained in our thinking to think that this life is ours that we are fully accountable for everything that we're going to do, that it is our divine will, and God kind of rides shotgun, making sure that we're making the right decisions. Ephesians 5.17, right before that verse, he says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice that precedes it. What is the will of the Lord if we follow the context? Not to get drunk with wine. Not to be in dissipation, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That present tense in verse 17 also underscores the fact, once again, that filling with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It is a repeated action. The implication is that each morning we need to wake up with a sense of our desperate need for the Spirit of God to fill us. He goes on to say, speaking with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and to be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Finally, that verb to be filled is in the plural, which indicates this command applies To the entire church, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Every church, every member is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To not be filled is to disobey God's word. And to be filled, we need two things we need emptiness and we need openness. You can't fill a jar that is already full, and you can't fill a jar that is not open. There must be a sense of need. Lord, I'm empty. I need you to be, I need to be filled by your spirit. There must be a willingness. Lord, I am open and I am allowing you to move in my life. The filling of the Holy Spirit is that simple. As long as we are conscious of our need, as long as we are willing to yield to the Lord, we can be. Filled with the, uh, filled by the Lord, because His power is available to us. We don't have time to go forward in Ephesians six, but I just want to point out something there. The results of being filled with the Holy Spirit we see in Ephesians chapter six, and it impacts our marriages. If you look in Ephesians uh, five and six, and it impacts. Um, our marriages, our children, our workplace, our warfare, our prayer life, and our power to be a bold witness for Christ. Too many believers forget that in every area of our life, we are continually in desperate need of the power of the Spirit who alone enables us to live more than conquerors. We, throw, we like to throw out the scripture verse, I'm more than a conqueror through him who love us so. But most of us, the truth being told, when we're not filled from the, from the Holy Spirit, we are more than victims. And we speak in a victim mentality with a victim kind of voice. Listen to the words of John MacArthur. He says this, a Christian can accomplish no more without being filled with the Holy Spirit than a glove can accomplish without being filled with a hand. Anything he manages to do is but wood, hay, and stubble that amounts to nothing and eventually will be burned up. Functioning in the flesh produces absolutely nothing of spiritual value. Boy, that's, there's food for thought. In summary, being filled with the the Holy Spirit is being filled with the Word of God. It is intimately related to being filled with the Spirit. The the conclusion is, if you are daily eating, if you are meditating upon the Word of God, if you are in prayer, if you're taking that and being controlled by the Spirit, then the Spirit of God will fill you. You will be full of a God-consciousness. And the things of this world will just be retracted. They will be in the background. You will no longer be consumed with that. And you'll never be filled with the Holy Spirit if you don't submit yourself. So submitting yourself to the will of God, submitting yourself to the move of God, submitting yourself to the move of the Holy Spirit is central to experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, I want to share with you, what are the characteristics? We talked about the necessity for a spirit-filled church. We talked about the necessity for being spirit-filled Christians. Lastly, what are the characteristics of a spirit-filled church? Well, I listed a few. Let me share them with you. Spirit-filled churches are scripture-saturated churches continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, exalting Jesus for the sake of transformation and not information. That would be the mark of a spirit-filled church. Spirit-filled churches are praying or fasting churches, seeking God's will, God's guidance for God's glory. Spirit-filled churches are powerful witnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled churches are persecuted. They're tried, and they're tested churches because the enemy knows from experience, and I think the enemy read the book of Acts, that they are mighty instruments in the hands of the Almighty God. Spirit-filled churches exhibit spirit-enabled boldness and power Not to just do witnessing, but to be witnesses for Christ. Spirit-filled churches, let the word of God dwell in them richly, daily reading, actively memorizing, and joyfully meditating upon the scriptures. Spirit-filled churches have the Spirit's power, enabling them to suffer joyfully and courageously and victoriously. Spirit-filled churches manifest a sense of unity wrought by the Holy Spirit even in times of difficulty and persecution. Spirit-filled churches are generous with a heart of charity whose members meet the needs of others in the body of Christ. Spirit-filled churches continually express gratitude to God the Father always in all things rather than grumbling and murmuring and complaining. Spirit-filled churches willingly submit to one another, surrendering their lives, uh, their rights to brothers and sisters in the fear of Christ. Spirit-filled churches are enabled by the Spirit to walk wisely, to redeem the time, and to understand what is the will of God. Sadly, many believers do not realize that in every area of our our life, we are continually in desperate need of the power of the Spirit, who alone enables us to live life and live it abundantly, not for ourselves, but for Christ. And I love this next one, Spirit-filled churches are supernaturally empowered to engage in spiritual warfare. We talk a lot about the spiritual warfare. We talk about a lot of the other different things. But Spirit-filled churches are empowered by the Spirit to do that. Lastly, Spirit-filled churches experience the power of God to see souls added by the Lord for his glory and not theirs. And finally, spirit-filled churches are not eager to make a name for themselves, but to exalt and glorify the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, oh, to have the most intense craving after the highest good, this is no questionable mark of grace, For God, not merely for the temple and the ordinances, but for the fellowship with God himself. None but spiritual people can sympathize with this thirst. For the living God, because he lives and gives to men the living water. Therefore, we with great eagerness desire him. So the final question is, do we desire the spirit? Do we desire the work of the Holy Spirit? Do we desire to allow Christ to take full control of our lives and open ourselves to him for the glory of his name, for the glory of his kingdom, for the glory of his gospel? Church, if we are going to be a spirit-filled church, then we need to empty ourselves of ourselves. And allow God through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to overflow. As I've been saying over the last few weeks, that we would indeed know God. And we would be known by God. May God bless you this morning. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we ask for your grace and mercy. May your word go forth with power, Father. May we know the Spirit's filling. May we desire to live our lives accordingly in the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.